0: Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood Podcast, designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors, and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted, and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice, and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Everything Early Childhood Podcast, your go-to resource for insightful discussions and valuable tips on all things related to early childhood education. I'm your host, Lisa Brown, and today we have a very special guest joining us. I'm thrilled to introduce Sinead, an expert in early childhood nutrition and passionate advocate for healthy eating habits among children. So Sinead Storch, the co-founder of Food is Cool, possesses a rich professional background with open over a decade of experience in the field of education. She's a highly dedicated and accomplished teacher, author, educational leader and professional development facilitator. With her robust background in educational leadership positions, Sinead places a strong emphasis on effective communication and the ability to lead teams with strength and compassion. So having worked in diverse educational settings across New Zealand, Australia and Singapore, Sinead brings a global perspective to her approach. So this experience has greatly enriched her understanding and appreciation of cultural diversity, highlighting its significance in the realm of education. So we're super excited to have you with us today. So welcome Sinead.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and have a chat with you.
0: Oh, so excited to share this topic. It's so important. Um, Can you introduce yourself and just share a little bit of your background and expertise in the food and nutrition for young children?
1: Yes, I'd love to. So I am, uh, my name's Sinead Storch, as you said, thanks for the introduction, and I am co-founder of Food is Cool. So Food is Cool is a um, holistic early childhood program that supports teachers and early childhood professionals to teach nutrition to children, because nutrition mm. happens the second, our nutrition education in our centres happens the second a child walks into our centre, so we don't even, uh, things that we don't even think of, conversations around mealtimes or we might have a child beginning to settle in and we unknowingly settle them by saying, oh, come to the table and have a yogurt or come have a muffin. Um, and we're using food as a strategy to suppress those emotions in those children. So things we don't even think of um, is nutrition education happening for children in our care. So um Yep, Food is Cool is uh, the holistic program, and it's co-founded with Dr Flavia, and she is a nutritional scientist, so it's all evidence-based, science-backed. It's not just me as a teacher saying, oh, we need children to eat more kale, it's her evidence and and science backing everything we say. Um, But while I was listening to your introduction podcast, I could relate on so many levels, um, but you mentioned a centre director who really inspired you and you said that the centre director, you felt like she almost believed in you more than you believed in yourself. Yeah. And I had I had the exact same experience with the centre director. As I was teaching as an ECT, um, Diane, she just believed in me mm. more than I ever thought anybody could. And she d- does with all of her staff and she just leads with compassion and it just has shaped my entire philosophy and just... All it takes is that one person to kind of really, really make you believe in yourself and and give you that oomph that you need to go, yes, we are doing this for children, we are advocates for children, and we're in a position where, with leaders like this, we can do that, and nutrition is so important for children, because we're in the foundation years, it's where it all begins. You know, we're we're focusing on the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff at the moment with the teenagers and young adolescents when, if we start in the foundation years, we could support these children now. You know, we all, as educators and, and early childhood professionals, we understand how crucial these first five years are and how impactful our job is. It's so much more than a job. Um... So, yeah, we're starting with the early years with this nutrition education.
0: And I love that. And shout out to Diane out there, um, all of our inspiring leaders. I love that. And it's so true. Sometimes when we don't have that belief in ourselves, we need to rely on others to really believe in us so that we can build and nurture that. And same with children, I think, as well. So tell me, where did the idea around Food is Cool come from? Like where, yeah, where did it start? What's your little seed and where's the journey and where are you at now?
1: Yes, cool. So we we've launched. We're in um, we're in schools and early childhood centres now. We've got a free club and program for parents because we wanted it to be accessible to everyone. You know, every parent we've talked to has some sort of challenge around food and meal times, and everyone values nutrition so much that we've put so much pressure on us around it that we either have picky eaters or we're having. Um, children expressing big emotions at mealtimes, or parents don't know what to put in lunch boxes. <laughs> There's so many um, stresses for parents around food and nutrition. So, we just wanted to alleviate that. So, we've got a free club for parents, and then the program and professional development for early childhood centres. So, we offer a professional development to staff because um, we know how much early childhood professionals value professional learning. Um. You know this, and so we wanted the professional development as well as the program. So we didn't we don't provide lesson plans, they're learning opportunities. So they're very holistic. You can take them in your own direction. they're, um, they're an inquiry-based model, so it's not a show children this poster of cartoon vegetables. It's very much it's real, We talk about real food, where food comes from, where it goes, we talk about poo. I mean, which what well, what children don't love talking about food but it's really important you know um, often children that might might be constipated it can also it can be because they're scared because they don't know what it is so if they actually learn and know that it's the food going into their bodies coming out then it builds that you know sense of autonomy um, for them so we talk about everything foods around the world we go on a safari adventure with food around the world um sustainability, food of the future, yeah, there's a lot covered. Um, And we know that teachers have enough on their plate, uh, mind the pun, but have enough on their plate already. They're so overworked. There's um, there's so many pressures on teachers at the moment. Um, So if we can alleviate that and say, here you go, here's everything that you need to be able to teach accurate nutrition information, because I know when I was teaching, I knew that it was really important for these children to have a positive relationship with food, but I didn't, I wasn't trained in nutrition. I had no idea where to get the information from. I had no idea what to teach. I did the best that I could by researching and finding the information and teaching it, but I still wasn't all that confident that it was accurate. Um, so, but yeah, we... Mm. We just put this together. Flavia's got a five-year-old daughter and I've got a two and three-year-old. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, well, how is this this not being a priority? Because we know it is a priority for professionals, but it's just not, the evidence isn't there. And Google's not a very reliable go-to source for information.
0: Oh, and it's so true. Like even for adult nutrition, for all nutrition, it's like there is so much out there, honestly, so much. But like how much of it is accurate? How much of it is, you know, something that we should follow or should invest in? Um, So it's so cool that you've created these platforms um, to aid educators and have this professional development around it. Um, Now, paint me a picture. So let's just say mealtimes in a service. We've all been there, had many of our fair share of mealtimes. Um, what could the meal time look like for it to be a really supportive space um for children and how can we overcome those little bits and pieces, you know, where you have children, I'm not gonna eat that, I don't like that, I don't want that. So yeah, paint us a really um clear picture and give um some strategies around those meal times that we could implement.
1: Yes, perfect. Like you say, we've all been there. I, I feel I feel ch- Triggered just thinking about oh, it. Oh, I hear
0: you. I used to feel like a waitress, like, you know, until we really mastered doing progressive meal times and focusing that time, you know, and attention and having those beautiful, meaningful conversations.
1: Yes, well, I think you've just nailed it there by saying those um, beautiful, meaningful conversations. And, and it's a time for connection. So, right, just stripping just stripping your mealtimes right back to what is it? Is it a routine or is it a ritual? Because a routine is something mundane that we have to do, like washing our hands. You know, we we all have to do it. We come in from outside, wash your hands before you have a meal. That's it. It's it's something we have to do. A ritual is something that we invite children to be involved in and it has more meaning. So if you have a mealtime ritual, even the perception of a mealtime changes in your head as an adult. To um, inviting children inside for the mealtime ritual, and it could be you could be doing progressive morning tea or whatever it looks like in your centre. But by simply changing the wording and and the um, the what we're trying to achieve the objective. So we're trying to create a ritual. So we invite the children in. We do the routine process. They wash their hands. They find a seat at the table. Um, we could we offer simple tricks like um, we've got a template for a, a placemat and the children can decorate their own placemat and then we laminate it or and then they can find their own placemat, bring it up to the mealtime meal table and that's where they're sitting with their placemat. They've instantly got a sense of belonging at that meal table. Um, they've instantly got a sense of agency because they have to get their meal, their, their placemat and put it down. Um, there could be you you say a song or a Poem before you eat together, or you they're little things to to make it a time to come together, time for connection. Making eye contact with the children when you give them their plate. Um, a, another big pressure point for children is picky eating. Um, we try not to use that term because it's a label, and by labelling it, it reinforces the children's perception of themselves. If we call them a picky eater, they perceive themselves as a picky eater. It also reinforces our perception of them. It also influences their identity, and it provides an excuse for them to be resistant to f- resistant foods because mm. they're like, oh, I'm a picky eater. anyway. I only eat plain pasta. You run. I only eat chicken nuggets. You know whether we know it or not, subconsciously, you know it's an excuse to be resistant, um, and yeah, reinforces that um, perception of themselves. So by just offering the children their food and saying nothing, not mentioning the food on their plate at all, saying nothing, absolutely nothing about the food in front of them, just like we would if we were at a dinner party. You know, you don't invite people over to have a dinner party at your house, and you go, oh, Sarah, I thought you really liked potato bake. Well, I've made it, and you're not eating it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or, Sarah, you're not not having any more uh, potato bake until you eat those peas.
0: Yeah, imagine, imagine yeah. being at a dinner party and <laughs> saying that across the table.
1: Yeah. So, but we do it to children.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, we do. We do. We, I did it when I was teaching. I used to say, you know, we, you got to finish what's on your plate. You, you just do it because it's generational, and we don't, we don't know what we don't know, and we want the best for these children. We have this perception that oh, if they've got a full tummy, they're going to be happy and thrive. When really, it's um, if we say nothing. Then they've got no pressure on them, and just we can watch the magic happen. Um, so yeah, going back to your question, I think the biggest thing is just to change, change our perception of the mealtime in a in a service, creating a ritual rather than a routine. What does a ritual look like to us? You know, we're the educators in the room. What are, what's our centre philosophy? What do we value? We value connection, relationships. It can be a time to, you could have a, you could have a prompt on on your wall of questions to ask the children at meal times that have nothing to do with the food Um, yeah time to engage with them and let them chat with each other I know it's a stressful time because often it's a time for staff breaks and there might be a relief teacher in the room Um, so yeah I think just taking it right back like you say a beautiful time for connection
0: and do you think also involving the children in aspects of, um, you know, right from that start of that ritual, so like, you know, maybe you've got a tablecloth and setting the table and, you know, really being involved all the way from the beginning of each of those rituals?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, filling up, giving them some power, um, letting them take some ownership over that over that routine because then they're going to want to be actively involved as we we all know this but yeah as much as much as possible allowing them to be involved i also think that the transition into that meal time pays a lot pays a big part in it um so if you're outside running around and then you come straight inside wash your hands sit at the table you know what's that i i struggle to do that i can imagine how a three or four year old struggles with that so i think um taking a really close look at your look at your routine um how that transition happens um yeah and and like you say definitely being as involved as possible um, in that in that routine yeah what
0: what sort of things would you recommend um so instead of like running in from outside which is a common practice for most services before lunch um what would you recommend that routine look like
1: um, you could come in and and break it up by doing a connection time, or uh, you know, some services call it mat time, some services call it connection time. But coming in from outside, coming back in together, bringing the energy back down, you know, as if we're can if we if we meet the children with calm, they're gonna it's gonna help with that transition. So coming in, we could use that opportunity to read a book, to. Um, talk about the food school school program or um,
0: <laughs> love it love it
1: know, read a book or um i've seen services do um a, a 10 minute yoga yep. so they come in they do their 10 minute yoga and then they go and wash their hands and come come to the meal table just to remind the children to to have that shift in mindset from we're running around outside we are um using our you know gross motor skills then we come inside and we're sitting down we're reconnecting we in our mind we know that next the next step is wash our hands find our placemat sit at the table we're gonna yeah so i think it's really important to just come in meet the children with calm um and then we can do things to go and wash hands like jumping over the candlestick, you know, a block and this jumping over the candlestick. You call the children's names. They go and – or whatever transition methods. Everyone's got different transition methods. Um, and, yeah, just bring it back down.
0: Yeah, mindfulness, yoga, belly breathing, like really the body scan, just checking in. But, yeah, I love that just thinking about and considering those strategies to really go from that high energy to that to that calm.
1: Yes, absolutely. I've also seen a service they just – removed the clock from their room between nine and two, they take the clock out of the room yeah. and they mm-hmm. say, We're just being um led by the children. You know, when the children are hungry, we're doing progressive morning tea. When the children are hungry we're doing progressive lunch. Rather than at eleven o'clock you go on your break. We gotta be at the at the lunch table. It's ten past eleven and we're not at the lunch table. Everyone's already stressed now. The the lunches are running late. The staff are stressed, the children are picking up on it and then it's like or you need to eat everything on your plate so that you can have rest time or you're not having any more. So I think just bringing it right back to changing our mindset, changing our language, reframing our language to, you know, this is a routine and this is such a, how how lucky are we to have this opportunity to connect with all of these children over a meal? It's beautiful. Um, But, yeah, it, it is hard with the everyday challenges that we do have.
0: Oh, and I'm such an advocate for like really slowing down, going at the children's pace. And it's so funny you say that because we didn't have clocks in our service. Um, We took the clocks away. Yeah, so we... um, We'd set certain alarms on the iPad. So like we knew that at 11am every day, we needed to like start putting out the beds and do nappy changes or start breaks. So we'd have certain triggers um, during the, like with the alarms on the iPads, but otherwise we didn't have clocks. We just went with the children. They'll tell you when they're hungry. <laughs> They'll tell you Absolutely. when they're tired. And I think meal times should be just a beautiful, natural part of the day.
1: Yeah, you were leading with intuition, just going, yeah, how beautiful.
0: Yeah, it was. It was really beautiful and it got rid of that, like, you know, the clock watching and feeling like – because I feel like you know how you're saying the difference between routines and rituals. I think a big part of that is in routines you can become quite robotic. Um, so you, you start, like, clock watching and looking at the time and it becomes very task orientated where when we take the time away and it becomes a ritual and just part of our day, um, then it becomes more connection and relationship based.
1: Yes, yes, I, absolutely.
0: Um, so with those fussy eaters, so you've got those, so beautiful, we're changing our language, we're looking at different words. Um, do you have, I was wondering, do you have any sort of questions that you would recommend? So you recommended not doing food-based questions. Um, do you have any other suggestions for questions that you could ask during meal times?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's so many Um what was your favorite part of your morning? Um, what did you do on your weekend? Uh, what would you like to um, build? I saw you building something amazing with the Legos. What would you like to build this afternoon? Where we could go outside together. Um, can you list some animals that live in the ocean? Some mammals that live in the ocean. Anything, anything other than food, and because anything other than food is going to create that connection with them um, by having that conversation. Um, we do have a list, we've got a list of some, some, you know, if you could have any superhero, uh, superpower, what would it be, or um, what's your favourite thing to do at home, just because then that's opportunity to have these conversations with children that we might not get the opportunity to have otherwise, because um, we might not think to ask them questions like this, or have the opportunity to.
0: Oh, and it's such a meaningful time and you know, it's I think it's something that's so ingrained in us as early childhood professionals that at mealtime it has to be about healthy eating and fruits and like are you talking to them about the foods they're eating? What are their like favorite foods and I, I visited a service, it was a little while ago now, but it was the first time that it introduced me to, they actually did an experience during mealtime. So they were doing um, road safety or whatever. So she, the educator got the, um, the road signs out and she was actually talking to the children while they were eating about road safety. <laughs> and I was like, and I don't know why I'd never clicked or ad- adjusted in my mind before, but I was like, it's such a beautiful, unforced time that the children are coming together to share a meal, to really connect, um, and it, it's so authentically used to then do a learning experience. Yeah,
1: how yeah, cool! Using the opportunity as a caregiving moment turned into, yeah,
0: yeah, it was, it was really cool. So with, yeah. let's go back to the challenge. So fussy eaters, um, we know that there's always one or two children that um, – but what are the particular challenges around that? Is it – because I find with particularly around three- to four-year-old, I don't know why, but boys, um, they have to have their food separate, they have to have plain, they have to have this. So um, how – obviously, we've made those adjustments, but let's say you have children, oh, I don't eat that or I don't want that. What what can we do and what should we do in those situations?
1: Yep, so if we are um, noticing some refusal, it's it's it has to be a partnership with the parents too because a child has to be exposed to a food 15 to 20 times before they'll eat it. And that feels, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it feels like a million times. Um, so, it, like for example, your child doesn't eat green peas, but you, so you offer them their meal that you know that they like, plain pasta, chicken nuggets, whatever it is, they've got their safe food there, so that's their safe food, it's something you know they like and you know they'll eat, but you put two or three green peas on their plate 15 to 20 times which again feels like a thousand and they'll they'll try it, that's what the research is saying so um, exposure can be in your um, in the centre of your dining table, you've got a fruit bowl the children are exposed to the fruit then then they might not like it, but uh, the fruits that they may not like, they're still being exposed to, Um I know that a lot of services we don't promote playing with food so there's other ways to expose children to it by like that having um, broccoli in the middle of the table for the children to experience and see and look at um, as one exposure Um, having it in a wooden food in your play kitchen they're still being exposed to the look of the foods obviously not the feel and the smell and the texture but it's it's just adding to that exposure and I think that when children are um, showing resistance to foods at the t- at the table in the centre, um, instead of saying "I'll um, oh, just try it" or "just have one bite," instead of saying that, we can just validate what they're saying. So I can I hear you. You're saying you don't like peas. Um, I, I hear you, and I'm sorry that um, Miss Lisa in the kitchen has put peas on the plate. I hear that you don't like them, but peas are on the menu today. So you're keeping your boundary. You're saying, um, this is what we're offering at our service today. This is what is on our menu. Um, I hear you. You don't want to eat the peas. So you're validating what they're saying. But then shift it to a yes and say, okay, you're saying you don't want peas, um, but you like pasta. Well, there's pasta on your plate. Or I hear you saying that you don't like the peas. Okay, would you like to come and choose the green fork or the blue fork for your pasta? So you're just changing that mindset from, the boundary peas are on the menu they're, they're not going anywhere to okay here's something positive or something to give you some power back here's pick pick which color fork you want or i hear that you want to have a muffin we're having muffins tomorrow for morning tea so that's a yes i hear that you want a muffin and yes we can have it tomorrow for morning tea it's not on the menu today so we're, you know, we're, early childhood professionals are, are great at keeping boundaries because, you know, that that is what's on the menu today. It's harder at home for parents and caregivers because if a child says, I don't want peas, it's often we will go and say, OK, well, what do you want? You want a banana? Here, have a banana. Mm-hmm. So it's harder at home to keep that boundary and say, no, peas are on the menu. I hear that you want a banana. And yes, we can have a banana. How about you help me put the banana in your lunchbox for you to take tomorrow? Um, So it's just really about being consistent and and keeping our language clear. Um, This is what's on the menu, we're staying consistent with this, but then changing it, doing a shift and going, okay, okay quickly something positive what can we what can we offer you to give you a? where's the yes
0: where's the yes yes? how do I get the yes yeah (laughs) and I think it's just coming back to you know offering that sense of agency the child to have some control over their decision making um so whatever you can do to offer that way that they can feel like they're in control
1: absolutely absolutely because that's what we all want at the end of the day human nature is and let's give it let's yeah give it to them in a way that is holding that boundary
0: yeah beautiful and what other like trends or challenges are you seeing around um, food and nutrition with young children
1: um, we're seeing a lot around um, children expressing big emotions at the meal table not wanting to cut yes. you know um, people often say it's a meltdown but we don't like to use that term either because it's just a normal expression of emotion yeah. and um just remembering that it's okay for children to express these emotions and and we need to provide a safe space for them to do that. So saying, I can see that you're really upset. Um, and thinking are they are they, there could be so many things they could be over hungry, they could not be hungry, they could, as we know, something could have happened on the weekend at home and they're projecting the emotions now at lunchtime on Monday morning in your service <laughs> on the floor. So true. What's happening to you? you do, we've just come in. We've had a beautiful connection. Now we're at the, <laughs> the mealtime. This child is displaying these huge emotions. But we just need to remember that maybe we're their safe space at the moment. And they could be triggered from something that happened at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning.
0: <laughs> yeah. We just did a training around, like, you know, the iceberg image, where, like, like that's just the tip of the iceberg. We're not actually seeing what's what's happening under the surface.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're mm. so right, yeah. Absolutely, and that, and mealtime's often a time for children, where they do express these emotions because it's kind of a break in the day, or it's a um, space where everyone's come together, and that they, they can, I guess, they feel like it's a, an opportunity to let it out.
0: Or maybe be seen, you know, because I think during the day when we have all the children, you know, participating in experiences and we're really actively um, engaging, I think sometimes perhaps a lot of children might go under the radar or they're just doing what they need to do. But when the group comes together, it's a time where I'm going to be really seen here. I need to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to really be seen. So really to showcase, yeah, those true emotions with how they're feeling. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So what do we do? So the child's having a tantrum. <laughs> um,
1: mm-hmm. They're all, oh, nope,
0: sorry, they're expressing their emotions. <laughs> We're holding that space for the and respecting the child's need to express their emotions. Um, how do we, um, I guess, how do we, because is it really about mealtime and the food or is it actually about, you know, something completely different?
1: I think in that moment it's got nothing to do with the food. Um, I think in that moment with those big emotions, it's something, it's the trigger point or it's, like we say, projecting any of those other reasons. Um, maybe they've had a um, traumatic experience around food at home, so it is always a trigger for them um, to come to a meal table. Um, so I guess, yeah, it, we all know the strategies, make sure they're safe, make sure the other children are safe, um, be nearby them, say to them, I'm here for you if you need me. Um, not trying to make them stop or be quiet or just come to the table and have something to eat. Just letting them let that out, um, which I know is challenging in a room with 22 other children. <laughs> um, so yeah, just just holding space for them and, and and allowing that. And then when they do settle, then we know that that's the opportunity and the time to really talk to them and talk through it. And um, once once they've come back to back to themselves and. Can um, have those conversations and then guide them through the meal table. So, like nutrition education is happening at the meal table by offering the food and saying nothing. That's still nutrition education, rather than not saying, "Oh, the peas are healthy." Um, this muffin for afternoon tea is not healthy. Um, instead, we say that they're, you know, these are foods that we eat every day because they feed the good bugs in our bellies. So we talk about the microbiome at an age-appropriate level. So, um, yeah, the good bugs um, or the millions of superheroes in our tummies. We you know we want to be feeding the the good superheroes. We want them to be winning. So that's why we're gonna eat our peas and our corn and our sweet muffin, they feed the some the, you know we talk about it, we talk about it in frequency rather than healthy and unhealthy. Um, just to take that label off and that, yeah, frequency. Because all food, all food plays a role in our culture, in our society, and you know, cake. We love cake. We use cake to celebrate birthdays. Yeah. We shouldn't, you know, we've we've probably all heard in the past people say, "Oh, I'm going to be I'm going to be naughty and have a piece of cake." Now we say that, and then the children are going, "Ah, reward, guilt, um, shame, naughty." Um, so instead, saying, "Yeah, cake. I love cake. I'm going to have a piece of cake. Um, I haven't had cake for a long time." So we're talking about it in frequency rather than good and bad
0: love that. Yeah, and like yeah, so talking about it like being a treat not so often, but yeah, just being a treat. And I love that. And it's oh gosh, there's so many complexities to the language that we're using. Like it's insane, like how much you have to really stop and think about the words and the language and and just even everyday things that we're doing, but like is this really best practice? Is this really in the best interest and in helping the ch- set the children up for success?
1: Yes, exactly. And like you say, setting the children up for success. So um, the research does show that early childhood experiences with food can have a lasting impact on children's health and well-being. And poor, um, you know, uh, negative, uh, negative relationship with food is linked to increased risk, risk of chronic disease.
0: That's crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, And you know what's fascinating to me? Like we've you know, obviously sat here, had a conversation, and I'm hearing you say, um, you know, you teach children um, about, you know, foods or nutrition by not talking about food. And I find that so bizarre.
1: Isn't it? Isn't it? Because we're all, we're all yeah. So we talk about food in, in different situations. So like at a mat time or a connection time. Or in the family corner, or when we're outside. Because um, if we're doing it at the mealtime when they're sitting there, the amount of pressure on a child with that, um, like we say, it's like the dinner party guest. You wouldn't do it to Sarah, your friend Sarah at the dinner table. So, yeah
0: yeah to do it to her. Well, yeah, so that's mm. awesome. And I guess really, like with anything, like if we look at indigenous perspectives, like if we look at language, like if we use look at um you know transition to school or anything, it's just really authentically incorporating it into everything that we're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love absolutely. that your
0: program enables that to happen.
1: Yeah, thanks. And I think it, what you say it is, it's it's about being authentic in it um, And having the confidence having the confidence to teach it accurately because um, there's so much nutrition education can link to so much we can talk about food waste and which is big for centres i know too because you know we all understand the importance of food waste on the planet um, and teaching children where food comes from there's so much learning in that it's it's so much more than just nutrition education it's and and the inquiry that you can go along with that you know look at bees Uh, oh my gosh i love
0: bees people don't know enough about bees like if you don't know about bees like it is the most beautiful topic to research because if we lose bees if bees become extinct it's science has proven that we will become extinct so they're the most important little like creature um and i love when i see them at services particularly like the native bees that don't have the the stingers yep
1: Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And the learning that can go involved oh, with bees. Huge,
0: mm-hmm. like the pollination projects and seeing their little hives and seeing the queen and how they work and support each other.
1: Yep, so that's nutrition education. Bees. If we look at honey, if yes. we at honey and where, where honey comes from and the process of honey going from the flower to our toast. Mm. Um, okay, what can we do with honey? You know, shall we make some... Honey muffins and do it together and there's there's so much. Um
0: Right. So it's all about like hands on as well. So really getting the children involved in all of those aspects. So like the preparation, gardening, um as you said, like the education, so the, the cycle of where it comes from. Yeah, it's so true. There's so much educational value around it.
1: Yeah. And where it goes.
0: Where it goes, yes, the poo. <laughs> And get that get that poo emoji out, um, so that they can see that. Awesome. So, are there any other tips, strategies, or anything you want to touch base on um, for our listeners that you think would support them with nutrition? Um.
1: I, yes, I could talk all day about it, but I won't um, put you on no, the spot. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think just um, the biggest thing is using meal times as a time for connection, like you say, a beautiful connection, and. Um, just having confidence, because I know parents often have a lot of questions around food as well. Um, oh, they'll eat that here. They don't eat that at home. Why do they eat that here and they don't eat that at home? Um, so, yeah, just have the confidence um, and, and the credibility in your source. You know, we've, we've moved far beyond the food pyramid now for teaching um, and looking at children. So, yeah, yeah I think just... You're doing amazing. <laughs> all all the educators and HR professionals out there, you're doing amazing. Um, you are part of the solution for a lifelong positive relationship with food for these children, next generation. So hats off to you. You're doing well.
0: Awesome. And you think I like cause when I you know, throughout this conversation, I have like, it's a journey. Like, it's really a journey. Like, there's no quick fix to anything. Um, You know, we can't help that child having a tantrum. We can, what? but what can we do in that moment for that child? But then with that nutrition, how can we then, you know, start that journey with having a healthy relationship for children?
1: Yeah, so I think the um, start of the journey is to reflect on our own practices and, and beliefs around food. You know, we've got we all come into the centre with our own, whether it's cultural or religious or um, generational belief around food, um, which is often you know post post war post depression sugar's a treat, um, that whole mentality and um, have to eat everything on your plate or you're not leaving the table. So I think just really reflecting on your own beliefs around food. Um, reviewing your nutrition policy, if you've got one, reviewing it, does it align with your centre philosophy? Um, is it is it meaningful and impactful? Or, it, you know, is it just a nutrition policy because we've got to have one? Um, so, yeah, I think coming together and reflecting on that, um, which we do in, the, uh, in professional development, but you can do as teams. And, yeah, I think the first step is reflecting on your own beliefs.
0: Our own beliefs, gonna... and values, yeah, and it's so true. Like yeah. with anything, with challenging behaviours, nutrition, we all have these things that we carry with them. From yeah, I call it baggage. You know, we all have this baggage that we carry with us um, from early childhood into everything that we do, and our, which forms our thoughts, our beliefs, and that comes into our um, you know teaching and education every day.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're so right. And and how fortunate we are to be in a position to have such an impact on these children. Um, in these foundation
0: years. Oh and I remember just to share a quick story but I remember like one of the educators that I used to work with we went out to her car and she used to store this food in the boot of her car so every time we wanted a snack or anytime we wanted anything we'd just rely on her to get a snack from the car Um, but so she was great for that but I, I really wanted to understand where it came from and it was a generational thing that like you know that they grew up poor. They didn't have food. They didn't have a lot of things. So, it was innate in her all the way from her grandparents that she had to collect food. Um, and so, like, honestly, she'd store it in our cupboard. She'd store it in the thing. So, they would have to, like, um, protect and and store food um, because they didn't have enough. And it just really, um, like, touching base on what you're saying, that we have a vast, we have everything. Like everything is just at our fingertips now. And um, I think we're so lucky and so blessed to do that and to have that. But what do do we do with that? We need to educate with now that we have everything and can have everything and and have such a beautiful life and opportunities, you know, how do we really teach children around that frequency and around, you know, the benefits and our body?
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and and that autonomy over our body you know teaching children to listen to their hunger cues to know when they're hungry and to know when they're full because often children don't even know um so to empower them with that language have that shared language where um we do we do share and 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 give them those words to use
0: yeah so when we're talking around emotions and things like actually talking about what does hungry feel like as well yeah, absolutely. Oh, so gold. I'm Thank sure you. we could talk all day long. There we go. <laughs> Beautiful. But we might um, wrap it up there. But before we go, Sinead, how can people track you down? Where can people find Food is Cool?
1: Yeah, cool. So um, Food is Cool is on social media. We have our website, which is www.foodiscool.com. Um, you can see you can join the Foodie Club for free there, um, get tips and tricks and advice and um, access to Dr. Flav and myself for any questions that you have and the programmes on the website as well. So Food is calls on socials and LinkedIn and our
0: website. Oh, and Miss Sinead is on LinkedIn as well and Instagram. So you can find her on there. Um, but we'll wrap up our episode for today with our insightful guest all about nutrition and well-being for young children um, I want to express my gratitude to you Sinead for sharing um, your expertise and passion with us today um, and if you'd like to learn more make sure that you connect with her and her work um, and be sure to check out the show notes I'll share all of her information there but as always we're here to support you on your journey of early childhood education if you have any topic suggestions questions or feedback please feel free to reach. Out to us. Um, you can find us on socials um, as well. Um, Platinum Ed, Lisa Brown, Platinum Ed. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Everything Early Childhood. Stay curious, keep growing, and remember to keep making every moment count. And I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. We read them all. <laughs> to catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore platinum ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.